You wore the headphones last time. It's my turn to wear the headphones. Gotta get you your own headphones. <laughs> These are my headphones. This is Social Distance Assistance. I'm Kelly. And I'm June. Hello? Hi, it's Molly. That's our producer, Molly, calling her grandma on the phone. You're going to edit this before you... (laughs) Yes. Okay. Molly's grandma is the head of her craft club in her assisted living community. She's 89 years old. Wow. I've been sewing about 75 years. I learned in home ec in junior high school, and my mother helped. I made most of my clothes over the years, and for my three sons from birth... Molly called to talk to her about how her craft club is trying to sew masks in social isolation. We make them in our apartments, and there's about six of us that make them. And I don't know how many we made all together, and when they're collected, they're given to the hospitals locally. However, the ones that we will be making in the future will keep here at the village to be used by residents. That's 200-plus people. Are you enjoying making these masks? It's time-consuming and a little bit tedious. But it's a good project, and they're desperately needed. It takes about an hour to make each one. My hands aren't as nibble as they used to be, and that's the trouble. I fold and and then pin it, and then sew it. It's just a little tricky. Granny, you will be 90 this year, so you have lived a long life full of a lot of events. And I wonder if this mask-making effort reminds you in any way of wartime efforts that you've witnessed. Uh, the empty store shelves remind me of rationing during World War II, but I was in my teens at that time, early teens, and uh, I guess that was just part of life at, at that time. Today on our show, we think a lot about how masks are becoming part of our lives in these times and in times to come. We talk to a doctor about safe ways to make and wear masks, and we start to think about the cultural shifts that mask making and mask wearing are going to bring. We have a lot of questions about masks. What's the best material to make a mask? Should I wear a mask while I'm playing outside? How can I clean my cloth mask if I don't have a washing machine? We're going to get some answers in a minute. But I wanted to kick off today's episode with a little disclaimer, which is sort of like a warning. Because our show is about looking for helpers during a global pandemic, there's often going to be content that's hard to hear. The entire world is suffering right now, and our search for helpers really needs to acknowledge that. Because there's so much suffering, some people might think that it's inappropriate to co-host a podcast about coronavirus with an eight-year-old. We'll probably end up hearing some things that will surprise you or scare you or make you worried. Probably. But I know you, and I know you can handle it. And I also know that you want to be able to ask questions and get answers and understand what's happening in the world, right? Yeah. How come? Well, it just, it's like what I said last time on Tuesday's episode. I'm eight years old, and I get to learn things that no other eight-year-old gets to learn. Unless I listen to our podcast. Right, well, I mean, you should share it with your friends. But how does learning make you feel? Excited. Does it make you feel powerful? No. (laughs) No? Oh, it makes me feel powerful. When I was a kid, it always frustrated me when grown-ups tried to keep me from knowing and understanding the world, even if they said they were trying to protect me, because I would be like, I'm strong enough. I can handle it. Yeah. It's kind of like that, but it doesn't really 
make me feel like powerful. It's hard <laughs> like to know what's going on. It just makes me like happy. Does it make you feel like you're part of the world? You're not separate from it? Yeah. That seems important for right now. So let's do this podcast together. Let's ask tough questions, right? Get some answers. Yeah. And if we start to get surprised and scared and worried, let's just talk about it until we feel better. Deal? Deal. <laughs> Great. So today's expert guest is Dr. Lindsay Neal. She practices family medicine and hospice care here in Charlottesville. And she even opened up her own clinic, Charlottesville Direct Primary Care, last September. Lindsay and her family are practicing pretty strict social isolation, but she's still seeing patients using full-time telemedicine. And it is not easy. It's a day-to-day, day-by-day, hour-by-hour kind of situation for me. Um, My patients have been, and I, have all been struggling with a fair amount of anxiety, and I would even go as far to say panic since this started. Lindsay says most of that panic is around how much information is out there. So much. And also how often recommendations are changing, which is really often, especially around ways that people can protect themselves and each other. In our last episode, we learned how N95s are the most effective masks in preventing the spread of coronavirus, but also that there's a shortage. Healthcare workers are being asked to reuse N95s or wear surgical masks or make and wear washable cloth masks. So June asked Lindsay, Are those cloth masks even effective for healthcare workers? So in my opinion, and I think in the medical community's opinion, cloth masks are not adequate for the type of contact that healthcare workers are going to have in the hospitals or in the clinics. I mean, of course, If and when we were to run completely out, they're better than nothing. But if we were to get into that situation with people who are having high viral load contact in the hospital, they would have to be made in a certain way. So what were your feelings about masks early on? Were you asking your family and friends to wear masks or were you encouraging your patients to wear them? So early on, I was I was really scared that hospital workers and healthcare providers would run out of masks. So I was really kind of adamant that lay people shouldn't be buying up the surgical masks in the N95s, that they should be saved for healthcare providers. I was really anti people making masks at home. Like the cloth masks are so questionable whether or not they actually prevent transmission of the illness that I felt like it was it was it was not worth doing. It was several weeks ago there was all these requests from the hospital systems where they were requesting people to make the masks at home and I was like internally like really angry about it because I felt like here we are in the richest country in the world why are we making cloth masks at home and then donating them back to these hugely profitable hospital systems. Like I felt like hospital systems should be paying these people who are at home sewing these masks that they needed to use their millions and millions of dollars that they're paying these CEOs and these high level administrators to go and buy masks. But I kind of boycotted making them at home because I felt like 
it was kind of ridiculous. I definitely felt that way early on, too. But now the CDC is recommending that everybody wears a cloth mask. Yeah. So the CDC is recommending that people who are not in the hospital and not healthcare workers wear cloth masks. They have explicitly said that N95s and the actual surgical masks that you like the ones that with the little ear loops that you get at the hospital that are like usually they're blue or yellow, that those should be saved for healthcare workers. So my family, we're actually like really socially distancing, like we're isolating almost because we're not going anywhere. We're not even going to the grocery store. I'm having everything delivered. But if we were to have gone out to go to the grocery store or wherever, I would just wear a cloth mask when I leave. Are cloth masks more about preventing the virus from getting in or from getting out? The cloth masks and the surgical masks, the yellow and blue with the little ear loops over the ears, the goal for those is to prevent the wearer from spreading or transmitting the virus to other people. And it's really important, and I think the reason why the CDC made the recommendation for all people to wear them is because now it's pretty evident that there are asymptomatic carriers of the virus. And so there are people who are positive with SARS-CoV-2, and they're not having any sort of symptoms. And so they're out in the world living, doing whatever, and they don't think that they're sick, but they're actually spreading the virus. And there's also been some studies recently that show that you can spread it just by talking. So because of that, and because of the symptomatic spread, they're recommending that we all wear masks when we leave the house. And it's more like they don't know how it spreads, so it's all precautionary, right? So like until we figure out exactly how this thing travels, a homemade cloth mask is better than nothing. Yes, exactly. What's the best material for making my own mask at home? There's been so many little like innovative studies about material and I have been so fascinated by what people have come up with. The innovation after um, coronavirus is just awesome. But in, re- in, in regards to masks, one of the tips and tricks that I have read is that when you're making the mask at home, if you're trying to decide which fabric to use, hold it up to like a light source. And the less light you can see through the fabric, the better the fabric is going to be for filtering the air. You also want to keep in mind that you you have to breathe through this mask too. So you don't want to you don't want to use like something very impermeable like aluminum foil. You know, like I've read some people they'll take two pieces of fabric and then they'll have an opening where you can put a filter in. And people are using all kinds of things like vacuum cleaner bag, uh, air conditioner filter, and like cutting it up into pieces and putting that in there. And if you use like two layers of the air conditioner filter. That improves the filtration. I've also heard of people using like tea bags because they're antimicrobial and you can layer them in a certain way that helps with the filtration. I just think that's a really cool, innovative hack that has come out of this. So shorthand, would you say, you know, get the cloth that you can't see through. If you have a coffee filter, maybe put that in the mask and then use a pipe cleaner or paper clip to make it form around your face as much as possible. And that all these steps kind of get you closer to something that's better than just like a bandana across your mouth. Yes. I mean, you know, be careful with like some of the stuff like that. I've read also about some of the vacuum bags having like 
fiberglass shards in them. So like, you don't want to use that in a mask where you're going to be breathing through it, you know? So if you're not sure that it's safe, then don't use that. Um, But, you know, I don't think that coffee filters are going to be harmful. (laughs) So my plan when I sit down to try and make a mask. So I have this one fabric that's like a really dense cotton that like I don't really like to use in sewing because it's so thick, but um, that's going to be the fabric that I use for my, my mask. And I'm also going to put a layer of flannel in between because one of the articles said that flannel was a good filtering option. All the patterns and suggestions make me think about big groups of sewers, like um, sewing masks for area hospitals that we talked to for our other episode this week, who pass materials around in this like contactless assembly line. And it makes me think, you know, even if you maintain distance from other sewers, you're still touching the material. So when you're donating masks to hospitals, are you also donating the virus? The virus? Yeah. Exactly. So there's a whole method to donning and doffing personal protective equipment, and that includes a mask. But essentially with the mask, and this goes for cloth masks too, is you have to not touch your face after you put it on. So what I always tell people, and this would go like if you know you're going from your home to the grocery store, I would say put your mask on before you leave the house. Put your mask on, tie it up, everything go to the grocery store and never touch your face again after you put the mask on. And so you go to the grocery, you drive to the grocery store, you go to the grocery store, you leave the grocery store, you come back home. And when you come back home, you walk from your car straight to your washing machine or your sink. And then you take the mask off by only touching the string that ties it. Never touch the part on the outside or the inside of the mask. And another thing that's important is gloves don't help. So if you're going to the grocery store, you don't have to wear gloves. Like people, I see people in the grocery store and they're wearing a mask and gloves. Both actually give people a a false sense of security because what will happen is you'll see people in the grocery store. They'll have the gloves on and they'll like rub their face or whatever, like four or five times. And then they'll touch their phone and then they'll just go back to doing whatever you know, and so like that just eliminates the need for having the glove on in the first place. So what I recommend is just is to wear the mask and put it on before you leave the house. Don't touch it. Don't touch your face. Don't touch anything. And then take it off when you get home and then just carry hand sanitizer and wipes. So wipe the cart down with the wipe and just frequently hand sanitize instead of wearing the gloves. How should we wash homemade masks? Assuming we throw the filter away, but that we can reuse the cloth part. Do we use a washing machine if we have one? Is that good enough? Yeah. And it's hot water, hot, as hot as you can. And then the dryer, or if you don't have a dryer, then like in the sunshine. Since I'm a kid, if I make a mask and I give it to somebody, will they get like the kids mild thingy majingy? (laughs) I'm going to translate here. So June has heard that kids aren't as susceptible to coronavirus. I think she's wondering if she makes a mask, but she's an asymptomatic carrier, and then she gives that mask to someone, is that person going to get sick with, like, milder symptoms because they got it from a kid? Oh, so sweet. So if you're making kid-sized masks and you want to give them to your friends, definitely do it because kids, even though they 
are not getting the severe part of the illness, they are spreading the illness. So I think it's really important for kids to be wearing the masks also if you're going out, but just tell your friends to wash them before they wear them. If you're making them and giving them to someone else, like, you know, wash them, handle them as little as possible, put them in a bag and give them to your friend and then have them dump it from the bag into the washing machine or into the sink and wash them before they wear them. Does wearing a mask mean I can stand closer than six feet from my friends? No. People will start to think that they can wear the mask and then go and do whatever they want to or go visit with their friends or be close to people. But I just think it's really important that we pretend the mask isn't there and just continue to stay six feet away from people, like in the grocery store. The beauty of the mask also is that when when people see you wearing the mask, they're like, ooh, I'm not going to get close to that person. It's like a double duty. Like you're protecting other people from your own secretions and potential transmitting of asymptomatic virus. But you're also telling someone else, like, stay away from me. Do I have to wear a mask while I'm outside running or riding a bike? So there's not a lot of guidance on that right now. I think that since you're outside, the air spread and the wind is going to work in your favor. So it's not going to be so dense in the air around you. I think when you're riding a bike, you don't need to wear a mask because you're moving quickly through the air. I think if you're walking and you find yourself close to other people, like I was using an example yesterday of when we walk in our neighborhood, sometimes dogs will come towards me and their owners are attached to the leash, you know, and so they come close to me. And if they come within the six feet ish space, then they're coming in too close to me. So for me, when I go on a walk with my dog, I'm going to be wearing a mask. So what's the best way that people can help healthcare workers specifically when it comes to mask making or mask wearing? If you have N95s at home, please donate them. If you happen to have a box of surgical masks for some reason, whatever reason, or you were able to order them early on, definitely donate them to clinics that, you know, I have several peers, family medicine clinic physicians who don't have any masks at all. Like I have a couple of patients that, you know, require a visit over the next couple of weeks that I can't do telemedicine with. And so I'm going to have to use my personal protective equipment that I ordered to see those patients. And I have some family medicine peers who don't have anything to be able to see the people who actually need visits. So we're all working together and going to take care of each other and each other's patients to make sure that we get through this. But Yeah, if you have N95s, like if you have, you go in your garage and see if you had some N95s that you bought last year when you were doing some sort of painting project, you know, donate those. I've had a couple of friends bring them over to me. So, I mean, personally, if it were me and I was running out of supplies and I had to see a patient, I would rather use your N95 that's been in the basement for who knows how long over a cloth mask. Lindsay, thank you so much for spending time with us. Thanks for coming on our show. Oh my gosh, June. Thank you so much for having me. You're amazing. Dr. Lindsay Neal is a co-founding physician at Charlottesville Direct Primary Care. She's also an organ donor and a kung fu student, so she's pretty hardcore. For links and lots of different mask patterns, visit our website, vpm.org slash helpers. 
We've learned so much about mask making and wearing this week. Let's recap. We don't exactly know how the virus travels yet. But experts agree that wearing a mask can help reduce the spread of the disease. The CDC recommends that everyone wear a cloth mask when they leave their house. There's a shortage of N95 respirators, so save those for frontline healthcare workers and donate them to hospitals if you have any lying around. One of the dangers of wearing a mask is that you can get a false sense of safety. So make sure to combine mask wearing with staying six feet away from people, using hand sanitizer and disinfectants, washing your hands often, and definitely don't touch your face. If you make masks and filters at home, do research on the materials you plan to use. So that you don't end up breathing in toxins accidentally. We should also start to think about masks as something we're going to have in our lives for the long term. Yeah. We're probably going to have to get used to all wearing masks. Talking to each other while we're wearing masks, standing six feet apart. You're going to the store, get your keys, get your wallet, get your mask. That's definitely going to change culture here in Virginia. Yeah. Right now, it's illegal to wear a mask in our state. Though during a state of emergency, the governor said that homemade masks to prevent the virus from spreading are acceptable. The problem is, laws that say what's acceptable and what's not acceptable haven't always been equally applied. So some black men have spoken out, saying they're not about to walk into a store wearing a mask because they're afraid of getting arrested for being black and wearing a mask in public. One of the things we're going to have to take into account when we're planning for what this new version of normal with masks is going to look like is how to make everyday activities like shopping for groceries as equitable as possible. That's going to involve a lot, a lot of practical changes and a lot of social changes that are harder to make happen, but they're not impossible. If the pandemic is forcing us to change how we live our lives, then we can at least try to live our lives better than we used to. For sure. That's our show. Thanks for listening to Social Distance Assistance. We'll be back next week with episodes on keeping faith and worship practices. We go to an Easter Sunday service at a drive-in movie theater. We hear from a rabbi about the joy of the virtual Seder. And we talk to experts on the importance of staying spiritually connected while we're physically apart. Have a question about faith in a time of coronavirus? Leave us a voicemail and we'll play it for our expert. The number is 804-404-2859. If you like what you heard today, subscribe and leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Someone has already nominated June for president, so prepare yourself for that. Social Distance Assistance is produced and engineered by June Hartcastle Robinson Jones, Kelly Jones, and Molly Bourne. It was created and edited by Nate Toby. Gavin Wright makes it all happen. Digital assistance from Angela Messino and the VPM News Team. Steve Humble is VPM's chief content officer and our helper in charge. Music for both of this week's episodes was by Blue Dot Sessions. Members are a fundamental part of VPM. Member support is especially vital right now. Through member support, we're able to provide timely and fact-based information, educational resources for our kids, and informative and entertaining content to keep minds active and engaged. Be a part of what makes VPM possible. Visit vpm.org slash donate to become a member today.
WPM.